in that day you will say, In that day, you will say, the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you bow? May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. God's people said, Amen. About five years ago or so, my younger brother Kevin and his family followed through on a years-long dream and sold their house in the suburbs and moved out to the country. They purchased 10 acres of land outside of Columbia, South Carolina. And while they were developing the, the land and preparing it, they lived in a rental house. I think it was a year or so. They were making plans for their forever home. When you go there, a long gravel driveway leads you back to the home place. It's a pastoral setting with a spring-fed pond that you can sit and enjoy while rocking on a chair from the front porch. They have lots of deer, some foxes, and they uh, there's a constant challenge of keeping the foxes away from the ducks in the pond, as you can imagine. And they've even spotted a mountain lion and some other creatures on their land. Like most rural folks, they had to dig a well for their water supply. I called, uh, te texted with my brother and said, I'm preaching from this text from Isaiah that speaks of drinking from the well of salvation. And I said, I'm just curious to know how deep your well is when you had it dug. And he said, ours is 100 feet, but that's not as much as most people around here. Most of them have to go down 200 feet for a good, viable water supply. 100 feet is his, or 200 feet. That's a lot. Have you ever thought about how much that is? To put it in perspective, when you go out of the church today, look up at the steeple. Our steeple is 150 feet tall. So to dig a well 150, 200 feet is like the distance of our steeple down into the ground. That's a lot. The two most common kinds of wells are wells that are drilled, like my brother's, 
and then wells that are dug, and those are much more shallow. People like Kevin who have a real drill, they have to have a company come out. My brother had a contractor come out, and they use a, uh, a boring device, and they put a pump down in there, and they have a water fear purification system, and they also have a whole house generator. So if the power goes out, they are still able to have water from, from their wells. Drilled wells, however, were not possible back in the ancient day. They were more modern technologies. Before wells were drilled, they, they had to be dug by hand. And generally, they were lined with stone or tile or bricks or other material to prevent the, well, the walls from collapsing in. And often they were covered with a cap of stone or wood. And sometimes people put a big concrete um, slab on top of it these days. In the times of the prophet Isaiah, or even later into the G time of Jesus, uh, these wells were central part of the community. And you can imagine that they were, oh, four feet or so around, maybe a little bit larger. Uh, they were that big so that at least one, but often two workers would go down and they would do the digging and they would send the, the sand and silt, dirt material back up with a rope and bucket. It was grueling work and they would do that until they hit a fresh water supply, sometimes a uh, an underground stream would be flowing through an aquifer, and then they would begin to prepare that for a sustainable water supply for the community. Dug wells, as I said, aren't usually too deep. However, if you are interested, there is one dug well in England called the Whittingdean Water Well that's 1,285 feet deep, hand dug. Could you imagine? Sadly, and we do say sadly, most of the people who dug that well were the poor and impoverished, and they were all children. Most of them were children. Back then, the, they, they, see, they would see them as expendable labor. And that well was dug 24 hours a day, seven days a week for four years. So it's helpful sometimes when we read or hear about something historical to see that there is usually a backstory and often there's a challenge like we described. The wells that were dug in old times and ancient times were uh, often dug by the enslaved or by the impoverished. It was grueling, backbreaking work. And the wells are not without problems, vulnerable to collapse, uh, prone to surface contamination, and dug wells often go dry during periods of drought when the water table drops below it what it should be. But there were pluses as well. Just having water was huge, having a well. And often it was the center of the community, of conversation, of relationships, of connecting, civic pride and conversation and so forth. It was a place of networking. People talked politics at the well. It was no surprise that people guarded their wells and took them very seriously. An enemy king would desire to come in and 
capture the area where the well was so that they could have control over it. So back then, uh, the well and water uh, from the well was a very important part of the culture and community and very valued, not only for the nourishing water that sustained lives, but also for all of the other things that I've described. When Jesus came to Samaria and went to the well, Jacob's well in Sychar, and there the woman we heard read about earlier in John chapter 4 came at noon to draw water, and she came because she was most likely shunned by the community, by the other women especially, who would typically draw the water. And there she came, and she saw Jesus. And Jesus not only talked with her, but asked her for a drink. And that was something that a Jew would, uh, a male would never do. But Jesus broke barriers there and began to learn about her story. And that uh, visit with Jesus was so powerful and so life-changing, the living water he spoke of uh, impacted her so much that she went back and told all of her village about it. And many people came to know the Lord, and Jesus even went uh, there and spent significant time sharing the good news of the gospel. So the, the well is a, a place to come and receive nourishment And we're looking at Isaiah as he speaks of drawing water from the wells of salvation there in verse 3. And we would understand that there's power when we draw from the wells of salvation. There's power that's given to us from God. And this power, we know last week's sermon, is resurrection power. This is the same kind of power that God Uh, exerted when God spoke creation into being at the beginning. And it's the same kind of power uh, that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead. And this power is available for you and me in our daily living. It's when we draw from the living water of God's grace, his life-changing, life-sustaining grace. In this passage, Isaiah sings of a song of deliverance. It's similar to how both Moses and Miriam sung of the Lord's deliverance after God led them through the parted waters of the Red Sea to be free from Egyptian slavery. The deliverance Isaiah speaks of here is a song of deliverance of the nation of Israel, and it is a call for a reunited world. The nation of Israel had suffered terrible disasters at the hands of the Assyrian armies, a suffering that Israel understood to be the judgment of God. And we know that God judged the people because of their disobedience, their digging, um, their own wells, if you will. And Jeremiah speaks of how the people would dig their own cisterns and they were cracked and they wouldn't provide life-sustaining water. That's the image that we have. And so we know that the anger that God had over the people of Israel was justified, but nonetheless, 
God says through Isaiah that the people will praise him. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. So although there is judgment back here in this text in the day of the Israelites, there is a God who is giving a message of redemption and forgiveness and a new way that the people would not remain in that situation under the Assyrians, but there would be good days coming, a future of hope. This passage in Isaiah acknowledges that God had a change of heart. God relented, or you might say God repented. Uh, repent means to change one's mind or direction, that God changed God's judgment, and it was turned to comfort. And God spoke through Isaiah to point people to the hope that was to come. A coming salvation given in prophecy that God spoke back through Isaiah in verses in chapters 9 and 11. Listen to the context of what Isaiah is saying in chapter 12. You'll know it if you've been in church just a little bit or even if you haven't, you probably have heard these words, Isaiah 9, 2, and 6, and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then in chapter 11, these prophetic words of hope pointing to the Messiah who's to come. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. These are the hopeful words of prophecy that we find earlier in Isaiah. And then chapter 12 is a celebration, a hymn of this deliverance pointing towards the Messiah we know as Jesus, the Son of the living God. Isaiah said, The Lord is my strength and my song. No longer would people need to dig their own cisterns that were cracked and would hold no water because they would soon draw from the wells of the water of salvation. This is the message that Jesus was communicating to the woman at, of Samaria he met at Jacob's well. 
Jesus desires that you and I drink deeply from the well of salvation. I think this means that we come to the well with a thirsty faith, a desire to know God more deeply, to drink the living water of God. So the question for us today, as we thirst to know God more, is do we want a deep well or a shallow cistern? I desire a deep well. And sometimes I feel that my bucket's broken or my rope's not long enough. And that's where I need the grace of God because of my own shortcomings or sinfulness or busyness to be still and seek the grace of God. Because the truth is, the Bible says you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's not an if, it's a promise. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in verse 4, it says, In that day you will say, and there's a, the, the last part of the hymn. In the verse verse, in the first part of the hymn, it said, In that day you will say, I praise you, Lord, although, and the you in the verb, you will say, is singular, uh, re referencing individual people, part of the community, each one of us. And then in verse 4, in that day, you will say, the you will say is plural, speaking to the community of faith, for us, the church. And today, he's, the, the Bible says, you will say, give praise to the Lord. We proclaim his no name. We make him known among the nations what he's done, meaning we tell our story like Desiree Nana has shared his story today. We make known him among the nations what he's done and proclaim his name is exalted. And then verse 5, sing to the Lord because of the glorious things he's done. Let this be known to all the world that you and I are supposed to go, therefore, and bear testimony to the work that God has done in our lives. And then verse 6, shout aloud and sing for joy, all the world, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. There in the very last verse, the scripture says that God is the Holy One, meaning the transcendent God, the God of the universe, the God who is bigger than we could ever possibly imagine, the Holy One. And then the scripture speaks of the eminence of God, the God with us, that God is with each one of us. Because it says the Holy One of Israel is among you. God is with us and will lead us to the well, the waters of salvation that we might drink deeply. And here the scripture reminds us that when we do that, we will have Lord Jesus.